Welcome to the Sadler Lectures podcast. Responding to popular demand, I'm converting my philosophy videos into sound files you can listen to anywhere you can take an MP3. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to patreon.com sadler. I hope you enjoy this lecture. In Anselm's great early work, The Monologion, as well as running throughout the rest of his works, one of the, you might say, guiding metaphysical perspective assumptions is what we call the doctrine of participation. And I've got two places on the board where he's actually invoking this explicitly, chapter 1 and chapter 16. But it runs throughout this work. It's something that you might say ties everything together. He's going to be exploring and making use of this doctrine. So it's important to understand this, not necessarily to agree with it, but certainly to understand this if you want to be able to make sense out of what's going on in Anselm's works and you want to see the arguments that he's putting forth as in any way reasonable at all. You don't have to agree with them. As a matter of fact, in, in our current culture, our current intellectual milieu, the doctrine of participation is not something that many people find particularly plausible. But, you know, as has been discussed by people who pay attention to these developments throughout history, that's not necessarily a reason to rule it out. Now, this is a key assumption or doctrine that I put here of... Neoplatonism, or if you just want to call it Platonism, in a general sense, not necessarily explicitly tied to Plato's texts themselves. These medieval philosophers, you know, around Anselm's time, didn't actually have access to most of Plato's works, but they did know about Plato through other authors. And this is a metaphysical assumption or doctrine that tells us about how things are at their basis connected with each other, and it's an assertion about the reality of what we might call certain universals or certain ideas, if we want to use Plato's term, certain forms. And before I go into the actual doctrine itself, I do want to say something. Why would this be so plausible for Anselm? This is in part because the medievals themselves, particularly the early medievals, are pretty much all Platonists. And that's not just in Western Europe, that's also in the East as well, you know, the Byzantine Empire. If you look at early Christian thinkers, the people who would go on to become influential for later medieval thinkers like Anselm, you're going to find that, that many of them are indeed to one degree or another Platonists. So for example, St. Augustine, who's somebody who, who Anselm will pick out by name in this work, one of the very few references that he makes to anybody coming before him, Augustine is a Christian Platonist. And so he finds this doctrine of participation plausible. Anselm himself is going to be following that path. Boethius, who's coming a bit later, another very important Christian Platonist philosopher, also, you know, accepting this. But it's not just those guys. It's, it's sort of part of the milieu, the intellectual milieu. 
And so where some of the things that Anselm is saying may strike us as a bit implausible or naive, they weren't so. And it's also important to keep in mind that Anselm isn't just accepting this doctrine and then saying, all right, never going to think about this again. He's actually taking it as sort of a hypothesis and seeing what can we, if we go to its very basis, what can we draw out of it in terms of its intelligibility, particularly in terms of a Christian metaphysics that he's working out in his monologium. So that's enough historical background and cautions about dismissing it too easily. Let's talk about the doctrine itself. This is a sort of generic way to look at it. For certain matters, not for every single thing, but for certain matters at least, some of the ones that turn out to be most important in metaphysics, in moral philosophy, in other areas as well, like goodness, for example, or justice, or being. This is going to be a particularly controversial aspect of this for modern philosophers. Being itself is something that we beings participate in. But for certain matters, there is some, and I put here, X itself, like goodness itself, or justice itself, or being itself, that those things participate in. Anselm is going to call this uh, supreme goodness, or supreme justice, in this work. But you could just as well use the form of it, if you like that sort of Platonist construction, or you can talk about justice itself, justice with a capital J, however it works for you. The basic idea is that those things participate. They're sort of, you might say, knockoffs or copies, or, or they have an element of whatever that X itself is, but they don't have the fullness of it. And they are what they are precisely not because they, they have you know, some sort of absolute fullness and substantiality in themselves, but because there's this other thing out there in which they, in some way, are connected through, through participation. So the goodness of good things can ultimately be traced back to goodness itself, which is what, in the last analysis, makes them good. So that's quite a lot to think about already. Now let's take a look at these two passages from the Monologium where, where it becomes a, a very important point for the argument. So in chapter one, he's not actually interested in justice itself at this point. He's more interested in talking about goodness and how we can make sense of good things and the multiplicity of them and whether there, there is some sort of supreme good that they're all participating in. He uses justice as an example to say, look, this is what the way it is for justice. It's going to be something similar for goodness. So he says, just things are just through, pair in Latin, through justice. They're not just just by themselves. They're not just because people happen to call them just. They're not just because we have a sort of sentimental attachment to them or they fulfill certain social utility functions or anything like that. They are just ultimately, I mean, those other things could be true. They are just ultimately because they participate in, they have some of the nature of, they take on the pattern of, imbibe the quality, however we, we think of it, of justice itself of justice that really is something that exists and has a being of its own. The other important part of this is he notes that that justice, capital J justice, is the same 
in all these different things. So, for example, the justice that I happen to have in my soul, what degree of it I have, or that I enact in my relations with other people here in the 21st century, is not the same justice as that which Anselm, who, by the way, was an exemplar for justice in his own time, uh, actually got faulted by some of the other monks for being maybe perhaps too just, which is a, a contradiction in terms for him. But it's not exactly the same thing as the justice that he exhibited. I exhibit justice towards, say, my students, my family members, my wife, my pets, my neighbors. He exhibits justice towards his fellow monks, towards the king, towards the nobles and the common people that he interacts with, and so on and so forth, right? They're not the same thing, but they are identifiable as the same thing because there is a common essence or a common core, a common structure within them, and that is justice itself that they participate in. So justice itself is, we can say, a universal under which many particulars can be brought and identified as justice. It's not just in this passage allowing us to identify sameness in diversity or unity in multiplicity. It's also important for another reason. When we have something like this, justice itself, in individual things, those individual things can be more or less just. They can participate more or less in that quality. And by doing so, we, by noting this, we are comparing them. How are we able to compare them? We are comparing them by making use of this justice itself, this justice in which they participate. We're using it as a measure or a standard without really realizing that we're doing so unless somebody calls our attention to it, as Anselm does in Monologia in chapter 1. Chapter 16 is also very interesting because there he's looking at the divine attributes, which we're going to discuss much later in a further video. And he's interested in talking about what is it to have the quality of justice. He contrasts the case of God from the case of a human being. A human being, he says, can have justice, can have that quality of justice. They can also have injustice, right? And they can have more justice or less justice. And there's, you know, a whole range of possibilities for us human beings. Quite interesting, isn't it? And he says human beings can have justice as a quality. Here's the question we can ask, whether we want to ask it of God or whether, whether we want to ask it of some sort of generic platonic form. Does that justice itself, justice with a capital J, does that have justice? Or is the word have in Latin, actually habere, inadequate and inapplicable there and misleading? The answer is yes to that last question. Justice itself doesn't have justice, it is justice. And this is where Anselm calls it something quite interesting that only shows up at this point in his work. He calls justice itself existent justice, existence in, in Latin, a word that he doesn't use an awful lot, existere, but he talks about this as existing justice, trying to stress to us the fact that this is where justice in its full sense really resides, and not just as an ideal quality, but as the very being of justice, the very existence of it. So that is simply justice. This is uh, also really central to the doctrine of participation. 
you might say, what's the upshot of this? If you want to understand the quality that you say something has, you need to refer it to what it is that it participates in, at least for certain qualities. Not, not for others that are you know, merely relative or primitive, right? But for certain qualities like justice or goodness, you're going to have to do that. Here's where it gets even more controversial. Being. Being itself is something in which beings, like everything around us, like you, like me, participate in to some degree. And we can have more or less being. I am reserving that for a later video because that's a particularly interesting doctrine as well that plays an important role in, in Anselm's metaphysics. But this is enough for you to understand the doctrine of participation and the importance that it has within Anselm's works so that as you approach the monologian, it'll make a little bit more sense to you if you keep this in the back of your mind. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page. Once again, to support my work, go to patreon.com Sadler. Above all, keep studying these great philosophical works.